Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And... <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and edit that. Whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, welcome back to another teen-tastic episode of Fanholes Comics, motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up guys, this is Derek, Derek WC, I'm gonna be one of your hosts tonight, and joining me tonight are two, count them, two of my fellow Fanholes! Why don't you give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hey, it's Mike, and I like pie. This is Justin, and I am 14. <laughs> I am 14 too. Duh, I am 14 as well. <laughs> yeah, so so we are actually here in honor of the feature film release of Teen Titans Go to the Movies, which is scheduled to be released in July, so hopefully sometime around the time that you're listening to this, you will be going to the theaters to see Teen Titans go to the movies. I'm actually, like, probably one of the few people in our general radius of, of comic fandom that is kind of excited about this. Like, I'm I'm kind of excited. And and I know you guys were just talking about the news that, that Nick Cage was cast to do the, the voice for Superman. So that, that's also kind of making me excited about, about the whole process and everything. But we had decided that it'd be kind of fun to just do a you know, a, a comics episode on Teen Titans. So we ended up just selecting three kind of first issues slash kind of introductions to various versions of the Teen Titans over the years. And it's going to be the new Teen Titans series from the original Wolfman Perez 1980 run. We're going to look at the first issue of that. And then we're also going to be looking at the first issue of the Teen Titans comic from the 90s, the 1996 comic by Dan Jurgens, where the Atom was reduced to teenage status and he had a whole new team of Titans that he was working with. And then for the final book of the piece we're actually going to be looking at and i use this as an excuse to look at the teen titans earth one graphic novel which is written by jeff lemire and penciled by terry dodson but i guess to start out with we'll go into the new teen titans issue number one which was released in 1980 and it had a cover price of a whopping 50 cents and the story is titled the birth of the titans and I'll go into a brief synopsis. A Gordanian slave envoy carries the Tamaranian princess, Coriander, to be sold to an unknown buyer. 
Coriander, however, breaks free of her bonds and steals a shuttle pod. She escapes to Earth and lands in New York's east side where she is found by Grant Wilson. Meanwhile, the empath known as Raven begins gathering heroes to form a new group of Teen Titans. She gathers Robin, Changeling, Wonder Girl, Cyborg, and Kid Flash in an effort to rescue the team's final member, Starfire, aka Coriander, from alien capture. The Gordanians arrive on Earth and begin attacking the United Nations building. The Teen Titans fight them off, forcing them to retreat through a space rift. Grant Wilson gets his toe majorly stubbed by the Teen Titans, setting up the next issue. The Titans then follow the Gordanians onto their ship, where Cyborg rewires the engine systems, causing it to explode! The Titans have rescued Starfire and invite her onto the team, as Grant Wilson plots and schemes from shrubbery with the evil organization Hive. And that is a brief synopsis of the first issue of Teen Titans, written by Marv Wolfen, penciled by the immaculate George Perez, who I had the pleasure to meet not so recently. I guess I, I'm trying to think of... We, we all sort of settled or, or, or picked all of these kind of first issues and stuff, and I think, was this kind of calculated on on your guys's part like i guess have you guys read these before and and how did you sort of come to i guess this particular issue this issue of new teen titans yeah i've, I've read this before but i was thinking about this like before the animated series started like i really hadn't read a whole lot of teen titans books and it's weird because like i know i know the cover to this issue is famous and i remember seeing the cover for this issue you know, like in Wizard and Comet Buyer's Guide and whatnot. I knew that it was like a famous, you know, comic and it was important. But I didn't really read a lot of Teen Titans books before the cartoon series. I I, I don't know why, really. It just, I mean, I, I guess I just never gravitated towards it. Kind of like Tony and the Bahaha League. I just never gravitated towards certain things, I guess. Yeah, I've read maybe the first four uh, trades of this era and i really do like this era i just haven't got around to reading any more from this time but i, I think i was the one who was kind of pressing us to read this yeah, issue yeah but, that's, and, that's kind of why I, I was kind of directing the question to you mostly because it seemed like you you seem pretty intent on bringing this era to to our discussion so i was just you know wondering if there was you know a particular reason and you know how sort of how you discovered it and everything i i've actually shockingly enough i've actually read this issue before too like <gasps> yeah i know right me reading like dc comics like what like, well this is this is yeah. kind of always been accused of being the the beginning of the marvelization of dc comics characters so i guess it's not that surprising that you know you a a you know marvel first fanboy is reading something from dc that is essentially you know touted as you know the the, the acclaim and popularity that it had you know some of it sprung from the the style and direction that they went with this title which you know in some in some circles it's accused of you know being a marvelization of dc characters yeah, I I actually read it like like within I think it's been like the last few years, but I I don't know why. I I think I was like in a like 
it was just in a random comics reading mood and you know with the internet being with it what what it is you know i just kind of looked on a bunch of scan sites and i was like let me start reading something and then like i ended up i was like you know i've never read like you know because this is this is pretty much the equivalent of like chris claremont's x-men isn't it like like this is yeah this is what put like you know this was the hottest book in the 80s yeah. for dc wasn't yeah. it yeah yeah, yeah. So like I, I figured it would have a tone and a style that I was familiar with and I'd enjoy. So I like I, I read the first like maybe ten issues of this and then like I think I got distracted by other things. But no, like I definitely like I I, I like this a lot. Like it, it's definitely from my like preferred era of storytelling, I guess. Yeah, I think I'm I'm trying to piece together like my my history with reading Titans comics is kind of complicated, but. I have brought it up on this show before that, you know, the, the whole lonely place of dying and then the, the, the Batman year three, like all that kind of stuff that was going on at the time in Batman comics. And then it spun out into like that crossover with Batman and the new teen Titans. Like, I think that's when I first actually bought a teen Titans, you know, at the time, new Titans comic book. And then, I guess I'd have to say that between the 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 new Teen Titans X-Men crossover and getting really really into Deathstroke the Terminator was what led me to seek out this run of Teen Titans because I think I had been interested in reading all the Marvel DC crossovers because I thought, you know, I, I, you know, I, I guess I've mentioned this a number of times on various shows, but I always thought the idea of crossovers was cool. And like that new Teen Titans X-Men crossover was really cool as well. And I think at that point it was not so unobtainable, I guess, when I was collecting, like, I, I, I feel like, you know, the, the treasury editions of those, like, you know, the comic stores didn't always want to keep them because of how big they were and they had no place to put them but because that new teen titans x-men crossover was just a standard size comic it was easier to stumble upon that in the back issue bin and so that was one of the earliest back issues i probably bought of a teen titans comic from like my local specialty shop which was called comic zone in fremont and i remember buying new teen titans x-men there and then because at the time the the teen titans or the new titans comic was delving into the the titans hunt storyline and deathstroke was like a major player in that and then deathstroke was in like panic in the sky with superman and he was like his sort of you know general leading all the heroes and things like that like there there was this big push to sort of have Deathstroke be not a supervillain, but this kind of anti-hero, and they were giving him his own title, and I was basically enveloped in all that hype. You know, I bought all the the crossovers and things like that. Like, I think it was, like, one of the big crossovers was, like, Total Chaos, and it's like, it's gonna go through Deathstroke and Teen Titans and New Titans, and, you know, you, you basically bought this, like, multi-chapter storyline and all that kind of stuff. So, so I remember being heavy into that, and because I wanted to know, like... I was like, oh, Deathstroke's cool, like, I need to track down his first appearance, and it's like, his first appearance was New Teen Titans 2, the issue that follows this issue that we just discussed, so based on that, it was like I started hunting down all the Deathstroke appearances, and then, you know, through sort of 
just being interested in George Perez's art and everything, I, I, I think, you know, before I did The Great Purge, I pretty much had a, a pretty full run of, like, most of the Teen Titans comics I had, they either had George Perez art or Tom Grummet art. Like, those were my two guys, and I really, you know, liked them a lot. And so any issues that had that art is what I ended up focusing on. So, you know, and, and, and that's not to disparage anybody else who worked on the books in between that period, but it's just, I think those were, you know, what I focused on when I was collecting and everything. I may have had, you know, random smatterings of issues here and there, fill-in issues, but, you know, and, and I guess, you know, strictly speaking to the story, I mean, this is fun for me too, because I think, it's not only super heroics, but because you have somebody, I mean, you know, Starfire obviously is like a favorite character of mine, but it's because, you know, a lot of her origins are in outer space and, and you guys know how I feel about space. I mean, I think all that stuff is cool. I like seeing super heroics in outer space. I like seeing kind of, you know, heroes and, and spaceships and interstellar star fields and all that kind of stuff. And that's how this, this issue kind of, begins essentially it's this cool you know it's not exactly a double page spread but you know it definitely has a spread of this cool spaceship that's hunting down you know coriander and everything and so like that's something i think is really cool i i do kind of want to mention i was going to ask like because this is still i mean it's 1980 like the crisis on infinite earths hasn't quite happened yet like this is essentially one of the earliest books to be Marvelized. So it's kind of funny, like, on that one page on in the first issue where after Raven tells Robin, hey, you got to get suited up, you got to collect all these, these you know, heroes, and, and we've got to save, you know, this this girl and all this kind of stuff. And, and then it's like when Robin's actually leaving, it's like he's leaving Wayne Manor. And, like, it's Bruce Wayne kind of going, something wrong, Dick? You're in costume. Need any help? And he's got, like, the smoking pipe and the or the pipe yeah. and the smoking jacket yeah. and all that stuff. I thought that was like, funny. It's, it's, like, straight up kind of classic, like, a bat, like, has flown through my window. I shall become, you know, a, a Batman. You know, like, that kind of thing. Like, it's, 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 it's almost like 1939 Bruce Wayne is sitting there kind of asking Robin, it's like, are you going off to play with your Marvel friends? Like, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, I, I almost, like, seeing that scene, I almost, like, heard, like, Adam West's voice coming out of that. Like, yeah, nice. I, I was expecting him to say like what's going on old chum robin where are you going it's something wrong dick you're in costume need any help it's like <laughs> help not at all bruce he like slaps his finger or whatever he slaps his, like his fist. dick it's eight o'clock at night it's way past your bedtime like yeah exactly exactly but yeah i i, I thought that was like a, a funny bit and then there's like a funny bit that Changeling has where he he's like, is the Pope Polish? And like that stands out to me because I think they're asking him like something that's clearly definitive, like where, you know, it's like, uh, you know, is, is this for real? And it's like, yes, it's for real. He's like, is the Pope Polish? And like, I always thought that was funny because that's something like that, like my mom would have loved because like she was she was Polish. And when the Pope was Polish, when it was John Paul you know, uh, it was like, it was a big deal to her. And so like, I think she would have gotten a kick out of just that line. And like, I, I even remember that Marvel comics did like a, a kind of autobiography, well, not autobiography. It would have been a biographical comic of, of, you know, John Pope Paul II. So like that, that would have been something that would, 
you know, I don't know. It just, I guess that's, that's a personal thing for me, but it's like, it, it, it's personal, but it's also, I think a genuinely like funny line. So it's like that, that kind of stood out to me as well. I think my favorite changeling line is Raven is telling everyone they have to hurry to get Starfire before she's killed. And changeling is like, she, is it too late to pray that she's stacked? <laughs> <laughs> and then he turns into a pig because Wonder Girl calls him a chauvinist. And he's like, you better believe it, oink oink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I found it. It's like Cyborg's like telling him to make sure the wire connects with the blue one inside. He's like, you think you can do it, Shorty? Because he's turned into like a mouse and he's going to go into the, the Gordanian equipment. And that's when he's like, he's like, is the Pope Polish? And since he's a mouse, he's like, if I don't come back, give my regards to Pluto and Goofy. You know what I, I wanted to mention, and it's a silly thing, but, like, I, I don't know, considering, like, comics and, like, coincidences and, like, you know, plot contrivances and all that, but, like, I always found it, like like a tremendous coincidence like i i don't know like you can you can just say that either you know it was fate or raven was manipulating events or whatever but it's like like starfire just happens to like be found by grant wilson who just happens to have a father who just happens to become like the titan's greatest enemy that's like i, I yeah, know yeah. it, it I don't I know it's like comics and there are tons of coincidences and like, you know, everyone you work with is a supervillain and everyone, you know, is a supervillain. But I don't know. That always seemed like kind of like jarring to me where it's you, like, you know, what's funny about this... that is like that, that that's one of those things where I, I might even say they took the bad along with the good when they appropriated the marvelization, as they call it, of of the story because it's like that always seems like something that like would always happen in spider-man comics you know it'd always be like you know liz's brother is the molten man and he's she's married to harry and harry's dad is the green goblin and you know it's like it's always it's always tying back to to something or somebody so it, it seemed like that was an attempt to have these kind of you know mini soap opera kind of storylines where everybody was kind of connected in some way and like grant's kind of hilarious to me because he's like the original i got my toe stubbed guy you know like because he's totally like you know why are you yeah. in my apartment like i hate you guys like you know you you messed up my digs and you made my girlfriend leave me even though she was already gonna leave me like five minutes before you fell through the fucking skylight you know <laughs> i hate but you but well, at the very least it's like marv wolfman doesn't he like die next issue like, yeah yeah like yeah. At, the, at the very least he like he did what like david michelini wasn't like allowed to do with eddie brock and like killed him like right off right away yeah it's like this guy has like shitty motivations like i wasn't intending for him to last that long yeah but. yeah yeah he, he he pretty much immediately dies upon his you know, supervillain. Well, I mean, it, it, that gives Deathstroke his motivation to to have the Titans as his arch, you know, nemeses or, or you know, a vendetta or what have you. You know, no, I know what I always thought was interesting was that like people like you know would always like say you know like Red X from the uh, the Titans cartoon like people would always say like oh what if he's like Jason Todd and mm. stuff and like I I was always kind of like what it would be cool if he was like Grant Wilson because I don't mm. they never used him like on that cartoon did they mm, not that I know of like I know they used like uh, Slade's other kid like the mute kid or whatever but, uh, yeah yeah that's right yeah. But, like, I, I always thought, like, oh, that that kind of fits, because, like, him and Robin are really, like, similar, and then Slade kind of, on that show, Slade kind of has that whole, like, like admiration for Robin or yeah, whatever, yeah. like, you know, so... 
Like, it would be cool if, like, they did some kind of, you know, rival fusion and it was, you know, Slade's son and Robin teaming up. But I don't know. Like, that's, I guess that's in the realm of fan fiction or whatever. Even though this is early Perez, like, I like a lot of the the art in it. And, and some of it seems like he's trying to channel, like, a lot of cool, like, Jack Kirbyisms, I guess. You know, like, there are these pictures of, like, you know, Robin, like, punching Gordanians and, like, the the kind of equipment and everything and, and crackle that's around everybody and stuff like that. Like, I, I, I kind of dig all that kind of stuff. And I, I think also the, the one splash page where they actually, you know, fight off the Gordanians at the United Nations is pretty cool as well. Like, it's 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 well-established, like, you know where they are, and, and it's also kind of just neat to see everybody composed in a single shot. Like, it's not like... I don't know, like, like I, I always feel like, you know, some of that stuff, like the art of using a splash page to to set up a, a story point and, and also make it kind of epic and cool looking, like, is kind of a lost art to a degree. Because, like, you know, you've got those splash pages from the 90s where it was just a cool pose designed to be sold on the aftermarket. And it's not like that page of the UN. I mean, it'd be a cool page to buy, you know, if you were you know, getting, like, original art or something like that. But I, I don't think that was the intent of this page. The intent of this page was to, you know, set up the story. And it's, like, it's cool how they he can fit everything in that one page. I mean, that's something that Perez has always excelled at. But it's, like, it's great how... It's, like, you've got a Gordanian spaceship, you've got the army, you've got the UN, you've got the moonlight, you've got the security guards getting nailed, and then you've got all the Titans, like, showing up to to you know fight all these guys and you know i think that's pretty cool something i always thought was interesting and we, we really don't get this in this issue it's like a it's a plot point later on like in the next couple of issues but i always thought it was interesting how wally kind of freaks out about raven manipulating him because he's like he's not sure if his feelings for her or if they're real or if they're like something she did to him through like magic stuff to like motivate him to join the Titans, which leads to a big like, you know, Titans kind of breaking up thing later on. But I always thought that was kind of interesting because like I was, you know, I like Wally West, like he's my, he's my flash. And I like Raven, you know, Derek, you were talking about how, you know, you like Starfire because she's from outer space. And I think in Titans, I kind of gravitated more towards Raven because she was magic and I like magic stuff. So I remember when I was reading these, I was like, I was like, wait, did like Wally and Raven get together? And I was like really kind of into that little plot. And I, I just thought that was always really kind of interesting the way they kind of use that as a plot point. The the fact that he kind of freaked out. He's like, are, are, are my feelings for you real or did you like put a magical whammy on me? He he really kind of ties himself up into knots over that. Yeah, I remember, like, uh, I think one of the other early series of back issues I got was that deluxe New Teen Titans series. That was the six-issue one that Perez and Wolfman did where they went up against, you know, it was when they, they first transitioned over to the, the Baxter paper and everything. It was like a direct series, you know, title and everything, which is why I never really saw any Teen Titans books on the newsstand because... When they were on the newsstand, it was I was kind of a little young at that point. I had you know a few comics bought for me here and there, you know, from the newsstand, like in say nineteen eighty. But it, I'm sure the new you know the new Teen Titans was not one of those. And so by the time 
I was actively kind of looking for for comic books in you know drugstores and 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 you know Seven Elevens and quick stops and and convenience stores and things like that. You know there there were no Teen Titans comic books on the racks, and it was it was just direct market stuff. And you know at that point early on, it was like a transition period where they they put out the direct market book, and then. It was like a year later, you'd get that story in the newsstand edition. And then, you know, at some point it would catch up with the the newsstand book. And like, I just remember the reason why you made me think of that was like, that was also one of my early introductions in terms of back issues to the new Teen Titans. And I remember in that, like they, they dealt with you know, Wally and, and Raven having, you know, a long-term relationship. And this is when Raven was kind of, you know, going all dark Phoenix, you know, she was, she was getting sort of, you know, she was embracing her, her father's side, you know, so she, she kind of started looking all red and had the four eyes and the Titans were fighting all those evil versions of themselves. And they, they did a version of this on the, the Teen Titans animated series and stuff like that. But I guess that's just something that, you, you triggered in me where I guess I don't think I ever would have been surprised that that Wally and, and Raven had been together. But I can see if you'd been reading like Wally West Flash comics from, say, the Mark Wade run and you had no mm-hmm. frame of reference for it. And then you come back to the 80s and go, what? Like they were a thing? Like what? You know, because it's like I, I think Wally had the hots for like a lot of, you know, it's like I'm sure everybody had the hots for, for Donna at some point, you know, on that. Yeah. that old you know 60s teen titans book so it was like she was the whatever that girl is in it or whatever you know it was like all the guys probably had the hots for her or whatever, you know so but and then you know the other thing i wanted to think of before i before i forgot it and and i'll just link you to a, a picture of it so you've got a frame of reference but i know how you said like the cover was really famous and everything and it's like i don't know if you guys have seen this or not but it's like now they've got like a series of like what is it one two three four five six like six six seven different statues and like it makes a diorama basically of of that first oh that's pretty cover cool, yeah. almost you know it's like you, you you know obviously it's a, a costly uh expenditure but it's like the idea is once you you put it all together it's like you've got you know you've got this kind of three-dimensional recreation of the first issue of the the comic book and stuff and like it, you know i think just seeing that it's like one of those things where you're like oh that's really cool like that's a cool idea and it's a cool execution and everything and and given that it like you were saying justin it's such a sort of iconic and historical cover you know given the the notion of it mike wasn't there an issue of the beast wars comic that kind of like paid homage to this issue with one of the yeah covers? one one of the covers of the gathering is like yeah. an homage to like get yeah, the cover to teen titans one where it's like like tigatron is transforming into a tiger like beast boy there basically like the same exact pose and everyone else is kind of like in the same poses i i know i've got an uh edition of uh overstreet price guy that basically recreates this cover too and i think it's i think it's a perez art too so it's like Perez is recreating his original cover, basically? Yeah, I think so. Okay. okay. Yeah, here we go. Here's all posted in the message box. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Vaguely, I guess. I don't know. If no, it's no, I, I, exact, I see. It's, like, yeah. it's, it's, it's got, like, the framework of it and everything. I mean, I, I think it's a nice touch. It's like Cheetor is Wally. Like, that. that's a pretty good 
you know, <laughs> yeah. one off and everything. And then I, I don't know how, how good it is to have Raven and Dinobot in the same spot, but you know, it's like, <laughs> or like Rat Trap and Donna, but you know, it's like Rhinox is kind of the, the cyborg type and Tigatron is turning into a tiger, kind of like Changeling is. And, you know, you've got Primal in the center, like Robin's the leader, and I guess Air Razor is is the Starfire because yeah. she's from space. She's from space, and she she showed up in a bikini when she first landed on the Beast Wars planet. <laughs> and did she kiss Optimus Primal to learn their language? <laughs> God, I hope so. I think I was going to ask you guys a question, but now it's it's escaping me because I'm like I'm trying to think of stuff where I was like. It's like, did you guys know about the protector um, and Nabisco? Um, no, I don't. I don't know what I was going to ask. Wasn't that the dude they put instead of Robin? Yeah, in those, yeah, like, yeah. They were. They, they were yeah. They, well, is like they, they were. They, Nabisco had. Well, Nabisco released this comic, and it's like they couldn't use Robin because Robin was like licensed to like some other company, like at that time. So then they had to use the protector. And I think if they had done like an animated series of Teen Titans. Like, because Robin was on Super Friends, they were going to use the Protector as the leader instead. So, then... What? Then, then, yeah, have you have you never heard of this? <laughs> no. Oh, no. okay, hang on, let me find the little <laughs> Teen Titans animated. And Rob, Robin's on Super on Super Friends is like, I gotta hang out with, like, the Wonder Twins, but he gets to hang out with Starfire? What a rip! Like, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, here we go. Okay. It's like the, the first and fourth images I think should come up in this in this link for you but i mean obviously there was there was not much done with it but they had like you know hanna barbaric character models like starfires like super covered up and everything but like the the idea was i i think it was supposed to be like you know uh it, it could have been a animated series but it was not and then of course it was the the actual comic like was like you know, George Perez, like, Nabisco comic book, and then I, I'm imagining they just redrew Robin as the protector or something like that. Because, like, in this, it's like, you're like, you can kind of see the the original outline of kind of like, it, he's kind of like a Robin type character, but not quite Robin, like that kind of thing. What an awful costume. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's, like, standing apart from all yeah. of them. They're all, like, a little embarrassed. Like, we, we don't know you, dude. Who are you? You're not our leader. Movies, TV, comics, music, pop culture affidavit has it all. It's everything random in the world of popular culture, and it's all covered by me, Tom Panneries. New episodes drop monthly at 2TrueFreaks.com and be sure to check out blog posts about random pop culture topics at PopCultureAffidavit.com Pop Culture Affidavit, the sworn testimony of a dork. Moving on, we're, we're actually moving on way in the future! It's like, it's like 16 years later, it's 1996, and there is a Teen Titans number one released, and this is like a brand new title. The cover price is a whopping dollar and ninety-five cents. How's that for inflation? The title of the story is called Titans Children, and the writer and penciler is Dan Jurgens. Having some legacy creative team members, the inker on this book is George Perez. 
and I'll go into a brief synopsis on what occurs in Teen Titans issue number one. A 16-year-old girl named Audrey Spears is trapped in a virtual reality simulation on the moon of Titan. Her life as she knows it is an idyllic fairy tale setting patterned in the style of 1950s Earth sitcoms. She speaks of a boy named Cody Driscoll who wants to take her to the prom. Her quote-unquote brothers in this simulation make fun of her, although she has the loving support of her faux parents. From outside the VR chamber, two alien scions named Yarn and Doric monitor her progress. On Earth, the real Cody Driscoll breaks into NORAD at Cheyenne Mountain on a dare. He sneaks into a monitoring station and watches their observation screens. Suddenly, he sees a flickering image of a girl named Tony Monetti momentarily flash before his eyes. Alarms begin to sound, and Cody thinks that the guards have been alerted to his presence. In truth, they are responding to a UFO sighting. Startled, Cody accidentally reveals himself and begins to run away from the security team. He races inside a woman's locker room, but these women are heavily trained guards who eventually beat him down. Hashtag feminism. Hashtag feminism. Hashtag feminism. Hashtag feminism. In Metropolis, a man named Lauren Jupiter consults with a mysterious cloaked figure known as Omen inside his solar tower skyscraper. Omen is uneasy and senses that the targets will soon reveal not only their powers, but themselves in the process. Mr. Jupiter assures Omen that he will do everything in his power to help them. Omen suddenly experiences a psychic surge and knows that a ship is approaching the Earth. In Ivytown, Connecticut, Mr. and Mrs. Crockett drop off their 16-year-old son, Isaiah, at the steps of Ivy University. Isaiah has just received a full scholarship and is nervous about starting college at such a young age. His nerves have physical consequences as his hands begin to suddenly glow red hot. Fortunately, the superhero known as the Atom, now regressed to the age of a teenager, is present on the scene and tries to help him. In New Jersey, Tony Manetti is having a pool party at her family's spacious estate. Tony's friend Gail comments about how pale she is, and Tony confesses that no matter how much she is out in the sun, she can never get a tan. Tony is startled when she sees images of Isaiah Crockett and Cody Driscoll in Gail's sunglasses. Back at the solar tower, Omen continues to receive psychic impressions. Omen tells Jupiter that aliens known as the Hassan Natal have recruited the Scions to do their dirty work and have a deeply vested interest in Cody, Isaiah, Audrey, and Tony. Omen's fears of the Hassan Natal's victory come to pass as the Scions teleport Cody, Isaiah, and Tony onto their laboratory ship. The teens are rendered unconscious and placed in the VR chamber where they become part of Audrey's fantasy world. In the simulator, they all meet one another and recount how they have seen images of each other. What they don't realize is that the Atom has sneaked on board as well, hiding on Isaiah's person. The Atom fights against the Scions and breaks the kids out of the VR simulator. They try to find a way out of the laboratory. Tony's ability to generate blasts of silver plasma begin to develop, and the other kids find themselves enhanced as well. Isaiah superheats his hands and places them against the wall, melting it. He learns, only too late, however, that they are not inside a building, but a spaceship! 
As the hole melts, Isaiah is pulled out into the vacuum of space. So that is the the not so brief synopsis of Teen Titans. So I I, I guess I'll I'll turn it to you guys again. Is this something you guys have read before? Negative. Okay. So this this was I, I I think this was the pick I was I was pushing I guess in this little dynamic and I guess it's just because one I was actually reading this when it came out and two I know it's so vastly different from any other incarnation of the Titans I I mean I guess I've always been a fan of Ray Palmer and like kind of like the whole how we make fun of the whole Teen Tony era like this is kind of the Teen Ray era where like he got regressed to a teenager in zero hour and then he had his own team of titans basically that he was leading around but it's like it, i don't know they 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 kind of tried to have their cake and eat it too it's like he he knew certain things for the sake of a story when he needed to know adult stuff but then for the sake of the story when he didn't need to know adult stuff to cause like tension and drama then like it's like well my memories aren't so good cuz i'm only 17 or whatever you know like that kind of thing and and I guess this issue doesn't really go into too many of the character names. It's kind of like the beginning of the story. And they, they you know, they manage to introduce all the characters, but it's not like they, they kind of give them all code names and everything. Like, Cody turns out to be a character called Risk. Tony turns out to be a, a character called Argent. And then Audrey turns out to be the character known as Prism. And then Isaiah, I think is supposed to be, I'm, I'm trying to remember, I think he had a couple different names, but, like, I think his eventual code name is Johto. That's that's pretty much who they all turn out to be. The, the, only, the only one of these guys that I recognized was Risk, and that's only because, isn't he the one that yes. Superboy Prime ripped the arm off yes, of? Yes, yes, yeah. he's, okay. he's, he's kind of the 90s Mort that Superboy Prime, like, totally destroyed. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, sure all like, those guys are in that infamous crisis montage because it was supposed to be like everyone who was a teen titan ever was ganging up on superboy prime in that sequence so i'm pretty sure all of them were there but yes risk is the one who who <laughs> fell to the brunt of superboy I, I, prime's wrath he, he was he was really making me laugh as like as like you know evidenced by my avatar because it seemed like 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 typical 90s like hero like you know he's into extreme risk taking right right stuff. right like, right i feel like there were like every, every single book or the tv show or cartoon had to have a guy who was like you know his profession is extreme sports like that's a like career or something like i mean it is but back then it seems like it was like a you know I, i'm going to college for extreme sports it's like something. it's like if if dan cortez was like a superhero basically like yeah yeah <laughs> so. I was like super. I was like, well, that, that's how you know this is a '90s book. It's but like, you see, like that's that's why, like I know some people are like, we hate Superboy Prime. We don't get it. It's it's horrible. Blah blah blah. But I'm like, don't you see the like inherent humor in like Superboy like ripping off the arm of Dan Cortez? Like, isn't that awesome? Like, I don't know. I I I, I always <laughs> I always get a kick out of that stuff because I think it's funny. I, I don't know if you guys have like tons and tons of questions for me. I, I can try and answer them. I know I know I read this book 
kind of faithfully. Like, like I know because George Perez was doing the inks and Dan Jurgens was doing the art and, and the writing, like, I was pretty loyal to the book, even though I, I have to admit, like, I don't think I really was reading the book for anybody except for Ray Palmer, if that makes any sense. Like, that that's why I can kind of divorce myself. It's not like I had any strong connections to the characters when Superboy Prime started obliterating them in Infinite Crisis. Like, I actually found it kind of amusing, to be perfectly honest. So, like, I'm not... I'm not totally, like, offended by that, I guess. But I did read the book when it was coming out, and then I, I know it eventually tied into, like, the Millennium Giant storyline, which I, I remember distinctly, like, th th it was kind of like when I was trying, like, not to buy comic books when I went to college at Loyola Marymount, but I ended up buying a bunch of comics anyway, and I remember, like, w one of the, the guys that I made friends with there, he's like, can I, like, read your Superman comics? And, like, I'm like, yeah, sure, and so, like, he borrowed, like, the whole like, electric blue, red Superman storyline, and that eventually, like, tied into the Millennium Giants, and there was this whole thing, I think it was issue 17 of this, and, like, there, there were all, like, connected covers, so it was like, it was like you put all the different Superman titles, and then I think it tied into, like, Teen Titans and maybe Aquaman and some other stuff, and, like, when you put all nine comics together, like, they actually formed, like, this kind of gatefold image and it was supposed to be like even though like superman red and blue were often on the covers of their own titles like the way they sort of designed it was like he was like zigging and zooming around the image i guess so it all sort of made sense in the end but that that was something that i remember kind of being the highlight too and then i guess if anybody's wondering like how does ray palmer go back to being like an adult dan jurgens like basically like cleans up the toy box and and like fixes the toys that he broke so it's like he sort of broke him in zero hour followed this teen character in this title and then towards the end of the book wave rider from armageddon 2001 shows up and kind of you know re-ages him to you know a 35 year old or whatever the you know whatever his original age status was so by the end of this title you know adam is is back to kind of being his you know good old justice league self or whatever again so so that's all kind of wrapped up by the time the book concludes i had kind of forgot that he was turned into a teenager and like it's been a while since i read zero hour like was he regressed in zero hour or like a tie-in book do you remember i kind of I kind of want to say it was in Zero Hour, but it's been a long time since I've read that, to be perfectly honest. Like, I remember when he was, like, de-aging, or I think he, like, aged up, like, all the the JSAers, so they got all old yeah, and crusty I and that. everything. So, like, I'm, I'm wondering if, like, there was some kind of offshoot where, like, he got randomly, like, zapped by Extan or something, and then it was, like, by the end of it, his clothes didn't fit, and he's like, I'm a teenager, dude! <laughs> like, I, I feel like that was, like, one of those epilogues to Zero Hour, where it's, like, I'm, I'm sure it happened towards the tail end or something like that. But, it's been, like I said, it's been a long-ass time since I've read that, so. Like, I remember when you were kind of pushing us to read this, I was like, yeah, I've, I've read some issues of this run, but not a lot. And I think I told you I had not read this issue, but then when I sat down to read it, I was, like, kind of remembering it, because what, what jogged my memory was, like, all the, like, 
scantily clad women. I was like, I think I've read this. I was like, aren't they on like a spaceship and something? Like, yeah. And then I got to the end. I was like, yeah, like I, I have read this at some point. The thing I remember is the cover for this issue because it was like, I feel like Wizard really advertised the heck out of this incarnation because I remember seeing like a full page like ad and it was just like the cover for this issue. And I think I must have been like, okay, I'll like, you know, I'll, I'll give it a try. Shut up. Stop stop bothering me. I think that's why I read it. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I, I was like 13 at the time. So, that I mean, that's probably why I like remember the scantily clad women's and stuff. I only remember reading like a few issues of this. I think I must not have like really cared for it that much. And I, I mean, even when I got into DC like big time, I don't think I ever revisited this much. But I do remember laughing as Superboy Prime killed a bunch of those mords and like oh, yeah, what's yeah. his name's arm off. Like I'm kind of like you. I was like laughing about it. I was like, oh, that's great. Like I don't think I'd like been so pleased since like stupid fate got killed in JSA number one. <laughs> I, I always used to write these. I, I don't know. You call them like fanfics or whatever. But I, I remember we had aspirations and things like that where we were like coming up with our own little storylines. But I, I remember since I was always a big fan of Silver Sable, but I always thought the wild pack was a bunch of morts and stuff. So I, I remember I had this whole thing kind of like before Infinite Crisis came out. So I, I, I just that's why I kind of thought that that it was cool because I was like, oh yeah, I kind of thought of doing something like that too, and it's like the, my excuse to like wipe out like '90s morts or whatever. Where I think I had Curse because I loved Curse, and he came in and just like killed the shit out of like the Wild Pack, so like Silver Sable <laughs> could go like join Sandman on his own team and have adventures. Even and even like Battlestar. Yeah, even Battlestar. <laughs> and and even worse than that, I tried to give like Henry Gyrick a moment of fan aura where he like did the whole Wesley from Angel thing and was like double fisting like pistols and stuff against <laughs> Curse, you know, like like it was it was total like you know fan wank stuff. But anyway, he could, he could do the roll on the ground and like shoot Curse in a hole in his head or something. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, but there were things like that. Let me ask you, Derek. Then have have any of these characters appeared? Like obviously, aside from the Atom, have, have any of these characters appeared like in like past the New Fifty Two or like Rebirth or anything? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I remember they had, like, these weird, these, but I think that would have been around the same time, like, because it seemed like these guys were all promoted. I remember there were, like, like these one-shots where people guest-starred with people, and I, I feel like it was, like, things like where it'd be, like, you know, Kyle Rayner and Argent team up, or, you know, things like that, but I can't really, I guess what I could do is I could take a look and just see, like, who actually... If 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 anybody one, one, actually one thing one this. one thing I did read that made me laugh is like like I knew Risk got his arm like ripped off by Superboy Prime, but then like I looked it up and it's like and then he fought Superboy Prime again and Superboy Prime ripped off his other arm yeah, and like the yeah. Sinestro Corpse yeah. War I think yep. or something yeah so like he didn't learn his lesson <laughs> he didn't learn his lesson I guess he doesn't need both arms. See, I'm, <laughs> It looks like they they probably all have cameos in JLA Titans and Avengers JLA. And then it looks like there's a couple random smatterings of, like, stuff in, like, 52. Like, not the new 52, but that 
that weekly series and mm. Teen Titans, like later Teen Titans comics, like the Jeff John stuff. I mean, who knows? It may just be like, you know, a flashback panel where they're like, remember these guys? Like, they were funny. Or remember these guys? Risk got his arm ripped off. You know, like that kind of thing. Like, so, so it may just be stuff like that. But there are, there, there do appear to be a smattering of appearances after this ongoing title. But mostly in like, either mega events or I'm guessing like little, you know, flashback cameo references. Yeah, I've read a, quite a bit of that John's run of the Titans and I don't remember them showing up to be honest, but they they probably didn't. I bet you I bet you if I look up the issue that it's referring to, like I bet you it's just gonna be like a random panel in the back where it's like, remember when Risk ripped off got his arm ripped off? Oh that was sad. You know, and it's like there's just this random panel. <laughs> Remember when those guys who weren't us got their butts kicked? I mean, that, that comic tied into Infinite Crisis, so it may very well be that that's when they showed up, right? I, I almost feel like like it's funny and all, but I almost feel bad because I'm kind of like, you know, I guess, I guess I wouldn't laugh if, like, you know, the Slingers showed up and got all horribly slaughtered or something. Like, yeah, you so, do, you do, guess... you do like your fair share of '90s morts. I guess we all have our favorite, yeah, our favorite characters. So yeah, I don't know though. I, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, I guess if somebody's listening to this and and these these Titans were your Titans, I, I'd be kind of curious and interested to hear about that and how that went. Because I mean. The, the book lasted. I mean, it was it was around for two years. I mean, I, I feel like I, you know, I'm just trying to be upfront. I feel like I bought it on the strength of the creators and the fact that the Adam was the character that I was following. Like, to me, this was almost an Adam book, not a Teen Titans book. And that's kind of why I followed it and everything. It, this does have, like, these... You know how you said it had, like, a 90s trope with, with Risk and the type of hero he was? Like, I, I thought this also had the trope of, you know, the trope I hate, where it's, like, the Hassan Natal are supposed to be the big bads of this series. And it's like they even have this throwaway line where they're like, even Darkseid fears the Hassan Natal. <laughs> and I'm just kind of like, shut the fuck up. Like, you know... <laughs> Darkseid doesn't fear shit. Like, what do you guys... Like, stop trying to make your rinky-dink villain, like, a bigger deal than than than, than they actually are, you know? Like, let, let them let them earn that. Like, if they're if Darkseid's gonna fear them, like, let, let them earn that in story. Don't just, like, say that, you know? Derek, is this the same era when the, like, Titans book was being published? Like, were they published simultaneously, or no, was that later? No, because you, you're talking about, what, like, the Devin Grayson book? Like, the book yeah. that, like, the book that Linkara was introduced to the Titans with? Yeah. That was, like, 99, so that was, oh. that that would be, like, if, if this lasted for two years, let's say, like, 96, 97, then there would have been, like, a year that there was not a you know, Teen Titans book on the stand or whatever. And then, cause I, I'm, I'm guessing if I could, if, if my memory is serving me well, I'm guessing after this, the, the teen book was young justice. And then mm, they went back yeah. to the Titans. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. the, the Devin Grayson book and then the Jeff John stuff. So I'm guessing the, the real kid hero book, cause that ran for what, like, Peter David, right? It was like what, like mm -hmm. five or six years or something, right? Like, so I'm I'm guessing it started in the late '90s, around the time, you know, this this title got canceled and then or ended, whatever. I I don't really know if it got canceled or it just naturally ended, but you know, like that's 
that's what I'm guessing that that really the the Young Justice team supplemented the need for a Teen Titans comic for a while. And even that Titans comic, it was you know the older generation. You know, it was the 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 kids from the new Teen Titans comic that we read from 1980. So, so at that point, they weren't exactly teenagers. You know, <laughs> like it's like Wally West was the Flash. You know, when that book was going on, even though he was part of that book. Sawate, my name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of Backroll for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1988. The goal of Backroll to Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Backroll and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters, and modern issues of Backroll and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Backroll and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spotlight, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history, and determines whether they are hot or not. Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama, or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't, and of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I have been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their Backroll Year One work, Brian Q. Miller on his Backroll run, Dwayne Swarzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the Backroll Spoiled, the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle. Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers. All right, so I guess, I guess without further ado, unless anybody has any other final thoughts on the... 90s extreme teen titans we're gonna move on to the teen titans earth one graphic novel and the publication date was in november 2014 as stated before the writer is jeff lemire the penciler is terry dodson the inker rachel dodson and cam smith and we'll go into a i i would say brief synopsis but unfortunately it's not very brief it's a graphic novel it's like freaking I don't know, 60-something pages. It's, it's long. So, the long synopsis, the not-brief synopsis, is as follows. Sixteen years ago, a spaceship crashes into the Earth. A group of humans investigate the crash and find an alien couple with an infant. The father is already dead, and the mother is on the verge of dying. The group takes the baby away. In New Mexico, a young girl named Raven wakes up from the visions of the spaceship crash. Even though Raven is skeptical about the nature of her visions, her grandfather believes in them, telling her that it is time for her to go out into the world. In Monument, Oregon, four children are about to make their way to the first day of high school. Tara Markov, a troubled child with an alcoholic mother. Garfield, Gar, Logan, a boy who is worried about skipping two grades. Victor, Vic, Stone, a boy whose mother, Eleanor Stone, has high expectations for him. And Joseph, Joey, Wilson, an extremely gifted boy who finds high school boring. Throughout the rest of the day, the children discover that they have newfound abilities. Vic discovers a liquid metal trying to cover his body. 
Tara discovers she has geokinesis, and Gar's skin turns green and becomes cat-like in appearance after coming into contact with his pet cat. The moment their new capabilities fully flourish, they all say the same thing. Am Starfire! Need help! The four children all go to the beach and learn about each other's predicament. Back in New Mexico, Raven's grandfather takes her to a secret location. Along the way, Raven begins to tell her grandfather about her dreams of the four children. She also tells him that she has been dreaming of a female being. They arrive at a cave where Raven's grandfather has been recording his own visions, which tell him that Raven will be the one who saves all of the teens. The children's parents come together. Eleanor tells them that she has contacted their employer and tells the parents to contain the situation. Tara's mom, Rita, tells Eleanor that she wasn't expecting to put her life on the line for what they are doing. Stephen, Gar's father, threatens to call the police, prompting Eleanor to kill him. Slade, Joey's father, attempts to back out, but Eleanor threatens him by planning on telling Joey of Slade's past. Eleanor leaves, telling the parents that she knows who has been triggering the children's abilities and plans on stopping it. At the beach, the children have revealed they've been seeing visions and have been searching for familiar spots. They come to accept that their parents are involved somehow. Joey tells the rest he hasn't received any powers and to trust Eleanor, unintentionally starting an argument with Vic. Slade appears in uniform as Deathstroke engaging the children in a fight. During the struggle, Slade tells them that they aren't related to their parents at all. Meanwhile, at Star Labs, we can see Eleanor and the other agents have been keeping the now-teenage alien baby captive. Star Labs tries to keep the alien heavily sedated. The alien contacts Raven, prompting her to transport her astral form to the fight. Raven stops Deathstroke by blasting him unconscious and ends the battle before returning home. Eleanor's higher-ups threaten to terminate the alien if she cannot get her under control within the hour, even though Eleanor insists that Starfire is too important to terminate. She is told that they still have the ongoing Blackfire project to fall back on. The children locate the Star Labs facility underneath a nearby lighthouse. The children begin to hear Starfire's voice. They find a room with the name Titan's Project on its door. They all find incubators specifically made for them and a sea creature-like boy called Tempest, surrounded by turtles in a tank. The team encounter Eleanor and are surrounded by her remaining security guards. Eleanor attempts to reason with the children and tells them that their abilities came from elements from Starfire and the ship that brought her to Earth. After Gar sees his dad's dead body, he strikes Eleanor and a fight ensues. Joey, calling himself Jericho, sides with Eleanor and uses his body jumping capabilities on the Teen Titans. Deathstroke attempts to intervene and the struggle ends with Jericho's throat accidentally slit by his own father. As a means of saving his life, his father offers his own body for Jericho to jump into permanently. The children find Starfire and rescue her from herself. Out of rage, Starfire attacks Eleanor and kills her. Starfire leaves, telling the Titans that they aren't the ones she's looking for. Distraught, Vic, Gar, and Tara wonder what to do next. Rita suggests they head to Utah, where the Blackfire Project is located. 
The Titans intend to confront the head of the entire project, a man named Calder. The children, along with the sea creature boy named Tempest, leave Star Labs and disappear. Four days after the incident, Raven is concerned by her lack of dreams related to the group. She enters her grandfather's secret cave and finds Starfire waiting for her inside and asking for her help. The end, or to be continued. All right. So, like, my mouth hurts after synopsizing that, but I did enjoy reading it. Yeah, like, it, it kind of, like, the you know, these Earth One things, obviously, they try to, like, I don't know, I feel like it's almost like the, like, CW, like, pitch for, like, these properties, almost. Like, I feel like this could easily be, like, the, fir like, first, four or five episodes of a CW Teen Titans like show or something. It's like, like the, kind of their their take on Young Justice or whatever. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. It's like, remember the Teen Titans? Watch what happens when they eat Kryptonite brownies. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know what I was I, I know Mike and I were talking about this earlier and everything, but bringing up the the TV aspect to it, like I know I'm pretty sure neither of you guys have seen this series, but I have seen the entirety of the first season of the Marvel Hulu original, you know, the Runaways series. And you know what big fan I am of, of the Runaways proper in the comics. But I went ahead and, and watched the series and everything. And, like, when I was reading this, the Earth One graphic novel, I was like, wow, they really... I mean, to me, it seemed like they really pulled heavily from these Earth-1 graphic novels rather than the the Marvel Runaway comics. Because you know how, like, in, in the Runaways, it's like they're, they're kind of alluded to, like, you know, Ultron is, you know, Victor's father or whatever, and, you know, these different characters and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, somebody's dad might be Doctor Doom, and somebody's dad might be this villain or that villain or whatever. Well, in, like, the the TV show, it's like they all have really for reals parents and all the really for reals parents are part of this like secret kind of cultish slash conspiratorial organization you know and they're all working towards this like common goal even though they're they're all sort of disparate backgrounds and family like the only thing they really seem to have in common is they all have a lot of resources and money and they pull them all together and everything and then you know the kids stumble upon them you know doing this ritual and they they're killing some girl or whatever for you know the bad guy to get powered up or whatever and then after that it's like oh my god like our parents are evils and then they all like flip out for you know, 10 episodes at the school, and then by the end of it, sorry, I'm spoiling the fucking series, but I don't really care. At the end of it, they finally fucking run away. It's like, holy shit, the show's called Runaways, and you finally fucking ran away. So, like, by the 10th episode, they all fucking run away. And so, I was like, well, you know, this original, you know, this, this initial concept of who the villains were and everything, it really reminded me of, and, and I didn't go into, like, specific detail of the parents, but the parents are all you know, these small villain nods to existing DC slash Titans characters. I mean, you've got Rita, which is a reference to, you know, the uh, Elastigirl from Doom Patrol and everything. And you've got, you know, obviously, like, the, the Slade, Wilson, is pretty obvious. You know, it's the Deathstroke and everything. You know, Eleanor Stone is kind of like, well, okay, they, they, they made Victor's dad into, uh, uh, you know, 
a really competent woman's and you know like that kind of thing so it's like it's a twist it's like i could totally see this being a whole you know network pitch as well you know like this is a total pitch to a network to kind of spice up you know something where it's like if they thought you know uh, uh, Elias Stone was boring because he's a man, you know. Like it's like, well, now he's not Elias; he's Eleanor, you know. And it's like, da da, you know, like all this kind of stuff. And and so like I was just noticing like all those kind of angles to it, and the way they kind of they 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 told some of the same story beats, but you know the the idea was they sort of twisted them and told them in in new ways where maybe you wouldn't quite expect them coming at the times they were coming. I, I guess, if that makes any sense. You know, the whole, you know, how, how Jericho gets his throat slit. They they kind of did a, a weird twist on the end of Titan's Hunt where Deathstroke kills Deathstroke in the regular comics and then the original origin of Jericho when, you know, Slade is confronting the one assassin and he ends up, you know, I think, taking out the assassin. But then in doing that, you know, the, the assassin still slits Joey's throat and then that's what causes him to be mute and everything and so like they, it's kind of like interesting takes but you know slightly tweaked and and different and everything i guess one thing that's worth mentioning and and hopefully this opens up some discussion for you guys as well is i i think based on the strength of jeff lemire i i was curious about reading this because i've seem to pretty much like most of the work that I've read of his. Like, so I, I feel pretty confident in saying, Hey, if he writes a book, there's a, there's a good chance I'll enjoy it. You know, like I, I feel like he, he's earned some, a level of trust with me as a reader where I'm like, oh, I'll check out something that he works on because I've, I've enjoyed some of his previous books and runs on things. And so I was willing to check it out, especially for this show but I think what initially turned me off to the show, and, and I did kind of joke about this with Mike the other night, was I really, I mean, I don't like the character designs that much from Terry Dodson, but I think what really turned me off was the, the DC Collectibles had a series of action figures based on this Earth One graphic novel, and they look really fucking ugly. I mean, like, like Cyborg looks like a big eraser head, dude. Like, like, I mean, yeah, he you looks. Had me, you had me laughing showing me that yeah, picture. Yeah, yeah, because I was like, I was like, he he doesn't quite look that bad in this graphic novel, but I think the figure just can't quite convert the Terry Dodson art. I mean, they're they're already kind of strange designs in and of themselves. Like, they're they're unfamiliar. They're they're I guess purposely different so that they they they're not emulating what Perez did and they're not emulating like uh, tons of the other variations of these characters that have existed throughout their, you know, entire career. But I don't know. I just, I, I, I don't get it. Like, like, like I still think kind of like cyborg looks like a big eraser head. I kind of think Starfire looks like princess Bubblegum from adventure time. Like I, I, I don't know if that's intentional. Like, if it's supposed to be yeah. like, dude, check it out. Like, Starfire's VA is Princess Bubblegum. Thus, the new Starfire will be Princess Bubblegum. Like, for really reals, and it'll be all serious ores and shit. Like, I don't, I don't know if that's what it is, but I th there's stuff about the visuals that I just don't think ever clicked with me. So the the one redesign that really irritates me is Deathstroke himself. 
Like it's just so far removed from the the Deathstroke you're used to because it's like this weird like black and white suit with a little bit of armor and he's got like a, some kind of like weird space visor and a sword and I'm just like wait is this Deathstroke? I'm like are you for real dude? Like you may be like Slade Wilson but you're kind of in name only like because you look pretty lame. I mean I guess I guess some of the stuff that I thought worked was like I never thought Tara Markov was off for me, I guess. Like, it's interesting, because she's not... I mean, obviously, like, in the original incarnation, she was evil through and through. And and in this case... I mean, I know they had another version that came back that wasn't evil, but I'm talking about, like, the original Tara Markov that, you know, was from the Judas contract. It's like she was she was evil and everything and worked with Slade Wilson to destroy the Titans. But in this case, like, she's part of the regular cast. And it's like, it's like they're almost trying to... Um, subvert your expectations, shall we say? Because it's like she's 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 there and she's got the cigarette dangling from her mouth, and it's like it's like I I always remember people talking about the Judas contract and and cracking up about how you knew Tara Markov was a quote unquote bad girl because she smoked, like like that that, that like not only was it that she was working with Slade and that you know she apparently was was. Uh, into Slade, and I don't want to get into whether or not they slept together and all that other stuff, but but the idea was, like, she was clearly in cahoots with him, so that's 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 enough, like, she's bad, but then, to, like, the cherry on top was, like, she's in the little nighty and everything, and then she busts out a cigarette, and it's like, then you knew, like, oh, she's bad. I think it's interesting in this that this Tara Markov is not bad, but yet she's always got a cigarette dangling from her mouth, like, as to to any of the scenes. And it's like, I, I don't know what it is, but I was like, oh, that totally feels like a Tara Markov thing. And I could see, like, like on a TV show where it'd just be this chick that gets cast and she's always got the whole Constantine, like, cigarette thing dangling from her mouth. Like, that's just her deal. And, like, I, I don't know what, but that, that I think, worked for me. There, there was one change I wanted to ask you about, Derek. Like, yeah. How do you how do you feel about the changes they made to Raven? Because I I, I thought it kind of made sense to me. I kind of liked it. I mean, yeah. I, I guess I'm biased, like because I'm like okay, yeah. <laughs> like I I'm like I have Native American background, so like anytime there is like some kind of Native American like superhero slash comic character, like I always I always kind of take note of it. It's like you know when when certain uh, tribes are, are mentioned in Jonah Hex comics, like, my ears perk up, and I'm like, oh, cool, you know, and stuff like that, and, and you know, whatever kind of character it is, like, I know, I know recently, like, you know, something that I wasn't too familiar with, like, up front, but, like, you know, the Marvel character Red Wolf, you know, it was like, oh, that that's something that was like, oh, okay, like, it, different characters, you know, Warpath in, in X-Force, you know, like, characters like that always kind of you know, have appealed to me and, and kind of, uh, you know, Turok Dinosaur Hunter, you know, guys like that, you know, so it's like the the fact that like Raven is, you know, a Native American and, and they're, they're going through that whole, you know, kind of, they're, they're, I guess, you know, it's like, it's like kind of the, the, the trope of the Native American chicanery type stuff but yeah. attributed to Raven. So, I mean, part of you could say, like, oh, this is, like, a dumb trope or whatever, but, like, I, I think it works fine. Like, I wasn't, uh, you know, I, I'm, like, I'm not offended by it or anything. I think it's, I, I, I thought it was fun. Like, I 
I, I kind of, you know, like my first impression was, and, and I don't, I don't know how this reflects on me or not, but remember how I said I saw all those toys and the designs kind of rub me the wrong way. Like when, when I saw uh, those toys and then like some of the promotional art like the cover which I'm guessing was used to design those toys I think on that cover I actually thought maybe they had made Raven um you know eastern Indian you know like I, I thought maybe she was actually you know g going to be of that background and so when it, it, to me like i guess i was just surprised because i guess i had made an assumption you know based on that cover like i not i, I not necessarily just because of the skin tone but because of the way she's drawn on that cover and some of her facial features and stuff and i just thought oh you know maybe you know maybe she's you know eastern indian you know like and and so i was like thinking like oh okay like the, that's their gonna be their new take on raven and i'm like that's kind of interesting and then as i actually like went through you know the, like the first page you you see is is the cave and the paintings and then and then you sort of you know get into the actual meat of the story and you realize they're on a navajo reservation in new mexico and i was just kind of like oh like and i was like i was way off you know based on you know don't judge a book by its cover or whatever like like my initial assumption was that you know she was not native american so i i was like to me i guess the the long-winded answer is i was like i was presently uh, pleasantly surprised because i i didn't even see that coming you know so i was like oh okay that's kind of neat so and and it did work for me i thought i thought it was pretty interesting that it seemed like cyborg and like tara were like the it couple in this like if you kind of remove robin from the equation then like you know some of these other guys get like you know robin's obviously you know he comes with a whole nother set of baggage you know yeah, being yeah. part of batman's world but if you remove him it's kind of like the the other people get to step into the spotlight, I guess, a little more. Yeah, those those characters get to step up. Yeah, Cyborg and Terra, like I, I I enjoyed this enough that I went and read the second one too. Yeah, I I ended up reading the second one myself. And like Jeff, like Jeff Lemire's never really set the world on fire for me. Like his writing's always been like I, I've either not liked it or it's just been kind of average to me. But like I, I liked these and like reading like cyborg and Terra, they kind of reminded me of like hazmat and metal from avengers oh, academy okay. almost okay. like i can see like, that yeah yeah like that i don't know they kind of had the same kind of relationship where they were in a like desperate situation like one of them has like a like kind of physical like impairment kind of and you know they're trying to like work past that and like i don't know but that that that, that was a that's a favorable comparison because you know i love avengers academy i think the the other thing about cyborg that i think got driven home with me and i'm I'm like trying to flip through this to see if i'm conflating like the two different graphic novels or not because i i may very well be but you know like when i that point where cyborg's like entire body starts getting enveloped and everything like i i thought that was like a really it, i guess it's in the second graphic novel but like how the metal is like total like because he's kind of afraid of it here but it's not to the point where it's like covering up like his entire body or whatever and i was like that's kind of i don't know like like that it's like I, I don't know how to explain it it's like you, you you felt like he was gonna suffocate himself like and it's like that it seemed like such a creepy thing and they they sold it really well like i kind of felt the whole 
despair or like if like I always thought it'd be like a horrible way to go. Like if you if you were on a submarine and then it flooded, you know, and sunk to the bottom of the ocean. Like I just something like that where you're just like trapped, you know, and it's like it's like this is even more invasive because that stuff is like all over his skin and it was like totally sort of growing all over him and it was like it was gonna cover his mouth and his eyes and all that stuff and i was like Ugh. you know like that that kind of got to me and i thought that was pretty well done but i think that's actually in the second graphic novel i guess the the whole you know niles calder thing you know as a callback to the doom patrol as well so there's there's a lot of those things and like steve you know gar's dad who gets killed that's a reference to steve dayton who is mento so another doom patrol reference so it's like even though they're they're trying to treat these guys as ground zero it's like there's a lot of you know small villain nods to the previous history i guess which is something they'd probably do in a lot of these you know tv shows to give like fan servicey stuff that's not strictly legit i guess if that's you know if if you pick up what i'm putting down yes yes i do but yeah like i enjoyed this i mean it was kind of like baggage free and like i said it kind of like they could probably make a pretty good like titans like tv show if they just like adapted this but you know they're probably gonna when they actually do release that titans tv show it's probably going to be a little more faithful to classic titans but you know yeah this wasn't too bad at all no, no. I, I mean, I, I was kind of surprised because I think, I think Justin and I have discussed how we don't care too much for the, the Earth One Superman stuff. But I, I mean, oh, yeah. I, will, I, I will say that that I, I think of the Earth One titles. I was like thinking about it. I was like, I remember enjoying the Batman one. Like I, I thought that was decent. And then, and then we we read the Wonder Woman one before on the show, and I, you know, I, I was fine with that. It was a little strange, but you know, it was it was interesting read. Uh, you know, I won't. I, I wouldn't say it was like you know, like I hate this. It's the worst thing I've ever read. You know, it's like I thought it was fine. And then this, I think, was it was pretty good. And and not only was it you know the first one good, but it did make like you like you said, Mike. I was I was actively interested and wanted to to read the second one. So I I think in that sense, like it, it was a success and did its job and everything. And it, it and it successfully sort of reinterpreted the characters for whatever new audience they were trying to capture i think so i i, I think it did a pretty good job uh i just looked at that cyborg action figure yes yeah. <laughs> that's yeah that's pretty quite, terrible quite, right Dude, can you can you see why i didn't like like that was my first that like that was my first impression of this entire project like do you see why that was like a detriment to it why i didn't even want to yeah. read it like, cause yeah. I was like, you look so dumb, dude. Like, uh, why, I, I was, why would I want to read I was, something I was that has tell- such a dumb action figure? <laughs> I, I said to Derek, like, last week, like, it looks like he's wearing some shitty ROM cosplay or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty fucking awful. He's like, look at me, Renaud, I'm ROM. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kyle Benning, and I love comics. In fact, I love them so much that I ramble on about them on a number of podcasts, all on one feed, found under the King Size Comics Giant Size Fun banner. I talk about comics with extra page counts, like Treasury Comics, Prestige Format Books, DC's Dollar Comics, Marvel's Giant Size Specials and King Size Daniels, and much, much more. I also love to talk about DC's Christ on Multiple Earth crossovers, free comics from Special Promos, Free Comic Book Day, Star Wars, My Life as a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan, 
random comic book back issues, and many other elements of geek culture that happen to strike my fancy. There's new content usually dropping at least once a week, and it's all found on one feed. You can subscribe via iTunes, just search for King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun in the iTunes Store, or podcast app on your iPhone. Otherwise, you can follow the podcast at the King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun blog headquarters, available at www.kingsizecomics.giantsizefun.blogspot.com. That's all one word, King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun.blogspot.com. Or follow on Facebook by simply searching for King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun. So for snappy review and discussions on comics, new and old, usually done from the front seat of my car or my lunch break at work, check out King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun. All right. Well, I, I think I think that's probably a good place to end this out. If you guys have any comments, questions, and or concerns, you can reach us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. And then I guess, you know what, before I forget, speaking of all that, people have been commenting so before we actually sign off, what? Yeah, yeah. People have actually what? been commenting and, and voicing. Uh, uh, well, I don't know about questions and concerns, but I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read some stuff. That we we got some nice Facebook comments from Kyle Benning, who is the the podcast host of King Size Comics Giant Sized Fun, and uh, Kyle had just listened to our episode 22 the the valentine's day episode on the superhero girlfriends and he says finishing up listening now great chunk of issues except for that horrendous vision and scarlet witch issue just <laughs> wanted to say that like mike it was the Dreamwave transformers comics that also got me back into picking up new comics in the early 2000s and then i think mike actually wrote back to him he said i guess we have to thank pat lee for something Ugh. <laughs> so so and and that's that's from uh kyle benning and then also um he was catching up on our show so he listened to episode 23 about panther's rage and actually he, he made a pretty good point actually he, he said listening now with regards to the quote was this the first ongoing serial story discussion Fawcett's Captain Marvel did it first, and of course Kyle Benning is a big Captain Marvel guy, so it makes sense that he would mention that, with an ongoing Monster Society of Evil serial that went through, I believe, 16 issues of Captain Marvel Adventures in the early mid-1940s, and then that reminded me, I mean, that is one of the best Captain Marvel stories that there there is, and I was like, oh yeah, I read that, but I wasn't really thinking of it at the time. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I consider it like a quote-unquote graphic novel but i i see what he's saying like like that that, that was kind of serialized and you had to sort of read all all the parts of it to get the whole story so in, in some sense i mean i guess i guess that is like a really really early attempt at at that kind of serialized storytelling but yeah so i just i just kind of wanted to give kyle a shout out if he's listening to this and and thank him for the comments and and like we were saying if you guys have any other comments, questions, and or concerns, you can email us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We are, like we were just reading from, we are on Facebook and other kinds of social media. We're on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, and we can be liked and favorited and all that good stuff. We can be streamed on Stitcher Radio. We are on iTunes. We appreciate all the reviews and feedback. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC. When there's trouble, you know who to call. Nick Cage! Signing off. <laughs> it's Mike. Extremes!
signing off. This is Justin, and you know I'm bad because I'm smoking. <laughs> Are you in a nighty too? <laughs> no. <laughs>
you know, Gal Gadot's uh, accent were like my least favorite parts about the movie. I think I even got a little into uh, Batfleck this time because I was, I, I don't know why, I was getting into the music where it's like, oh, I finally picked up on Batman's theme, which is like his angry theme where it's like, duh. Da, 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 da. You know, yeah, yeah. I don't know. So I was just like, I don't know. It was it was fun to watch again. Um, anyway, totally random. 